0: Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Thank you, Jerry. And we're going to talk about living in the light about Jesus and about being lights of the world. If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8. We've been a couple of weeks since we've been in Ephesians, and we've already noticed that verse 1 says, be imitators of God as dear children, and talked about walking in God's love. Today, verse 8 says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It's a silly story. But a man needed a few days off of work, and he knew his boss would not give him time off. So he thought if he acted crazy, then he would be able to get a few days off. Maybe the boss would say, you just need some rest. And so he hung upside down on the ceiling and made funny noises, and one of his co-workers asked what he was doing and he told her i'm pretending to be a light bulb so that my boss will think i'm crazy and give me a few days off well a few minutes later the boss came in and asked what in the world are you doing hanging from the ceiling and he said i'm a light bulb and the boss said you are clearly stressed out you need to go home and recuperate for a couple of days so he jumped down and walked out of the office, and then the coworker, the lady, started to follow him, and the boss said to her, "And where do you think you're going?" And she said, "I'm going home, too. I can't work in the dark." This passage talks about being lights in darkness. The passage continues the emphasis. The first way to imitate God is by his love, back in verse 1 and 2. And and Paul goes on to show true love and false love. And then he says, now we're to live focusing on God and live as lights in the world of darkness. The scripture speaks of God as light and salvation in Psalm 27, 1. He speaks of God, it's, it speaks of God as an everlasting light in Isaiah 60, verse 19. His word is called a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, Psalm 119, Christ is called a light to the nations, Isaiah 49, 6. The true light which enlightens every man in John 1, 9, and the light of the world in John eight twelve. And for a believer to imitate God, he must obviously share in and reflect God's light. The scripture uses the figurative use of light two ways. First of all, it talks about the intellectual part and the moral part. Intellectually, the light represents truth. And morally, it represents holiness, living in the light. Whereas darkness has the same two aspects. Darkness refers to, intellectually refers to ignorance. Somebody's in darkness and falsehood. And then morally, it denotes evil. They are in darkness. In the Bible, righteousness and goodness and even the very nature of God are characterized by light and nature of sin. The devil is characterized by darkness. You know that. John 8 uh, says, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And interestingly enough, Jesus said those very words during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish people constructed three giant candelabras on the Temple Mount. They were so big that the priests had to climb ladders in order to put the oil in them. And at the top of the platform, or the bowl, or a bowl, there was a bowl that held 65 liters of oil. That's 17 plus gallons of oil and the priest would climb up and fill all these bowls with oil and then at sunset they would set them on fire and this would be the brightest light in Jerusalem all year long all three of these candelabras were lit the temple temple mount was lit up and then the whole city of Jerusalem could see them and it was to commemorate the time that the children of Israel, when they were being delivered from Egypt, were in the wilderness, and God had sent a pillar of fire to direct them and to guide them through the promised land. It was a great time of celebration. Now, we're told that the priests sometimes would dance and sing in front of those candelabras all night long. And then the next morning, those flames would die down. And it was in this setting, the next morning, when Jesus stood in front of those smoldering candelabras, when he said, I am the light of the world. And what he meant was, I'm not some artificial light that's going to go out at sunrise. I am the light of the world, the whole world. And we know what he meant. He was saying, I am the goodness. I'm the purity. I am the love. I am light itself. But then on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he said, you are the light of the world. And Christians may kind of scratch their head and go, wait a minute. If Jesus is the light of the world and he's perfect and he's good and he's love and he's life, I'm sure not that. Then how can I be a light of the world? Well, if you consider the sun and the moon, the sun has light on its own. It, it, it gives off light on its own power. The moon shines brightly at night um, And it doesn't have its own power. It reflects the light of the sun. And so Jesus is taking that and he's saying, I am the goodness. I'm the purity. I'm the love. I'm going to reflect that through your life. And like the moon, we only reflect the light of Jesus. Now, with that in mind, I want you to notice several things about this passage. First of all, you notice a radical change in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. When you come to know Jesus and you commit your life to Him, people are going to notice something different about you. I love the account of a man who was going to work one morning when he was pulled over by a state trooper. The trooper walked up to the man's car and he said, Did you see that stop sign back there? The man said, yeah, I've been traveling this highway for 20 years and I have never stopped at that stop sign. And the trooper said, well, you will now and handed him a ticket. The very next morning, the trooper was called to investigate an accident at that same stop sign. And much to his amazement, when he got there in the first car was the man that he had given the ticket to the day before and he walked up to the man and he said what happened and the man said don't ask me ask the guy who ran into me so he walked back there to the back car and he said you want to tell me what happened and that man said it's not my fault I've been following this man in front of me for 20 years he's never stopped here before well I want to tell you when you come to Christ other people are going to notice something different you're going to live differently so several things. First of all, remember who you were. Now, Paul contrasts what every believer's life was like before salvation. You'll notice in verse 8, he says, you were. Now, that indicates a couple of realities. He says, first of all, it's past tense, which means it's a condition that no longer exists. You were this, but you're not there now. And also, It's it's not modified by a pronoun such as in or of. It doesn't say you were in darkness or you were of darkness. He says you were darkness. Before you came to know Christ, you were darkness. Darkness. You had no light in you. You had no life in you, spiritually speaking. And before we came to Christ, our total existence, our behavior was characterized by darkness. There's no other aspect of our spiritual life than that of darkness without Jesus. And darkness stands for a Christless life. It stands for ignorance apart from Christ. It stands for chaos without God. It stands for the immorality of the Christless life. Darkness is characterized by unfruitfulness. It's connected with lovelessness and hate. Darkness is the abode of the enemies of Christ. It's interesting when you look at verses like Psalm 82, 5, or Psalm 107, verse 10 and 11, or Isaiah five twenty or John twelve forty six. you find four basic characteristics. It's the work of Satan is darkness. It is the domain of Satan is darkness. The, it brings God's penalty, and it leads to the ultimate destiny of eternity darkness it's as if a person is lost in a an abandoned mine, and they keep going further and further and further into the mine. in the darker and darker and darker it gets every tunnel he leads either leads to a dead end or another tunnel he has nowhere no idea where he's going and folks i want to tell you before you met christ spiritually speaking you were darkness people are in darkness today They're looking for light. They're looking for the way. They're looking for something to give them life. Back in 1925, a man by the name of Floyd Collins was exploring the Mammoth Cave in Kentucky, and he got stuck. He was 55 feet from the surface, and he got stuck. Icy water was dripping in his face, and some rescuers came in and diverted the water, and they talked with Floyd, trying to calm him down, but they could not get him out. He began to come unglued, stuck in that cave. He was able to see the light, able to see where he wanted to go, able to see, hear voices getting food, but he was stuck, and he couldn't get out. So he slowly began to have raving lunacies, hallucinations, everything from chicken sandwiches to angels in white chariots. The newspapers got a hold of it, and 10,000 people came to see him. Hot dogs, sandwiches were sold, there was a, a sideshow. And 17 days later, Floyd Collins died in that hole. Able to see where he wanted to go, where he wanted to be, but not able to get there. And you think how horrible, and it is horrible. But I want to tell you, there are people who are in darkness today who are trying to get somewhere. They just haven't found the light of Jesus. They don't know where they're going. And they stumble around in the darkness. And, they, and you'll notice how man just keeps getting worse and worse because he's in darkness. But, but then it says, you once were darkness. You, you weren't in darkness. You were darkness. You're no longer there. It says, now you are light in the Lord. Now, it's a present tense, which indicates a new spiritual condition that goes on and on. And it also is not modified. Now we are light. Not in the light. We are light. He lives in us. We are now completely changed. We've gone from darkness to light. You remember who you were. Now he says, remember who you are. And Paul gives the characteristics of children of light. I want you to notice several of them. Again, go back to verse 8. He says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. The first thing, the first characteristic is goodness. This is how we act. Now, all of the fruit of the Spirit is not listed here. Obviously, that's in Galatians 5.20. But here, you've got three main categories. And the first one is how we act. It's in goodness refers to moral excellence, to being good both in nature and effectiveness. It finds its highest expression when it is sacrificing for other people to be a good person. Sometimes we talk about a person's dark side, which means they have an evil side to them. But Christians ought to always be displaying the light or the goodness that is ours as Christians. You don't act good to become a Christian you act good and produce goodness before because you are a christian Jesus' words let your matthew 5:16 let your light so shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven <laughs> you never know what's going to come out of the mouth of children it's a concept sometimes that they see it different ways, but one lady was t- saying that, in, that she, her daughter came home from Sunday school one day and was quoting this verse, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And she said, mom, what does that mean? And her mom said, well, it means that when you're good and kind and thoughtful and obedient, you're letting Christ's light shine in your life before all who know you. Well, the very next Sunday in Sunday school, the little girl got into a bit of a clash with another student, and so much so that it created an uproar to the point that the Sunday school teacher had to go get her mother and bring her down there to calm her down. Well, her mother got down there and took her off to the side and said, Sweetie, don't you remember about letting your light shine for the Lord before others? And the girl blurted out all of a sudden, Mom, I have blown myself out. Well, Sometimes our light gets blown around a little bit. We don't lose our salvation, but the goodness doesn't always shine. I have a gas hot water heater in my home. So do many of you. And it has a pilot light, which is a little flame that stays on all the time. And on some of these days when we have a tremendous amount of wind blow, occasionally somehow the air comes down that vent tube and blows out that pilot light. And when it does, we've got no hot water anymore because it won't heat up the water. And so we have to go relight the pilot light. Well, did you know, as Christians... We sometimes need to relight our spiritual light, and the way we do that is studying God's word. The way we do that is gathering together as believers, and what a great day it's going to be when we get to do that again. But but you get your your uh, your fire lit. Sometimes we say it that way. We get our uh, relit. We get a, a encouragement. That's what we do when we gather together, but basically you, you characterize a person who loves Jesus and follows Jesus, their life's going to be characterized by goodness. The second is righteousness. It's what we are. First is how we act, or, or, uh, yeah, how we act, and second is what we are. It has to do with our relationship with God. God looks at you and says, You have been made righteous, you have been justified. Jesus took our sin, died for it, died on the cross for us, and and the Father looks at us now through the filter of the righteousness of God of Jesus. I illustrated that last Sunday by using the handkerchief. This is, this represents our life, but then that white handkerchief over us, God looks at us through the righteousness of Jesus. You may not feel like you're righteous. You may not feel like one of God's children at certain times, but God has declared us righteous. You once were darkness, now you're light And that light is represented in goodness and who we are. We are righteous because of the forgiveness of God. The third thing is truth, and it's what we speak. It has to do with honesty and reliability and trustworthiness and integrity. In contrast to the hypocritical, deceptive, false ways of the old ways. That means we speak honesty. We speak truth. In other words, we're not afraid to tell people the truth about God, about heaven, about hell. We may be saying, well, I have a hard time being good and righteous and being truthful. But the key is that we're to reflect Jesus and what we speak and and how we speak indicates who we are in Christ. Christians should be people of truth and should be people of integrity. I read something that said, light travels faster than sound. Isn't that why some people appear bright until you hear them speak? Well, Christians ought to be known by their speech. So we see, therefore, that goodness pertains to our relationship with others, and righteousness pertains to our relationship with God. And truth primarily talks about our own personal integrity. Those three things, who we are, how we act, and what we speak, all indicate who we are. Many years ago, and some of you, were, most, a lot of you will remember this. I remember back when Gorbachev was over then, what was called the USSR. Now Russia And a Russian pastor was asked by an American pastor later after Gorbachev lifted a lot of the oppression over Christians, the the American pastor asked the Russian pastor why he thought Gorbachev lifted the oppression from Christians in the Soviet Union. And he replied that the major problem facing the nation at that time was the economy. And Gorbachev reportedly told Russian leaders, why do we oppress the very people who do not absent themselves from work, who are not alcoholics, and who give us a productive day's work? We need their strength. And after decades of oppression, the light of a persistently righteous community of Christians... Shown forth and opened the door to the gospel, being absolutely available to go into what we call Russia now because of their consistent life, even in a place of darkness. You have some things at home that glow in the dark. Now, I'm not talking about battery-operated. Maybe on your watch or you've had something that you get next to the light, and then when you turn the lights off, it glows in the dark. Well, if you want to have the fruit of goodness and righteousness and truth in your life, you've got to stay close to the light. And the light is Jesus. That's why it's important to have a quiet time. It's important to gather together with other believers. It's important to worship with other believers because we are outnumbered in this world of darkness. And when we come together and come close to the light who is Jesus, our light shines to other people. You remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and God gave him the Ten Commandments? Well, he was, God was not only revealing truth to Moses, but God was revealing himself to Moses. The Bible says Moses got to see the glory of God. He had a personal encounter with God. And when Moses came off of the mountain, his face was literally shining with the Shekinah glory of God. It was shining so brightly, the Old Testament says they had to put a veil over his face because it scared everyone. And can you imagine Moses' wife <laughs> trying to go to sleep with Moses? Honey, turn off the light. And Moses said, The light's not the light's not on. It's just my face. She probably said, Cover up that thing. I can't sleep. Well, who knows? That's my demented, um, warped sense of humor. But he was literally glowing from having been in the presence of God. Well, folks, when we spend time with Jesus, our lights will stay lit. They will stay bright if we stay close to him. And lights shine so brightly in darkness. If you switched off the lights in your homes, and if I switched off the light in this building, and I took the smallest little match and struck it and lit it, it, it would draw your attention immediately because darkness is the absence of light. And without Christians in the world, there are no lights to shine to spread the gospel to other people. In verse 11, you'll notice what I call the resulting commitment. Verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret the first thing that Paul would say was you have to continually refuse sin. Have no fellowship with. Now, how are you supposed to stay away? I know right now there's a time when we are um, social distancing from other people. We are not getting close to other people so that this COVID-19 will not spread. But On a normal day, when you go out to work and you go into the world, how do you stay away from people who don't know Jesus? But that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying don't have any communication with them because obviously we have to tell other people about Jesus. He's not saying that you are to confine yourself to a monastery somewhere that you don't have any contact with the world. He's saying that when you're out in that world, you do not identify with them. In other words, it's not, you're not better than them, you're forgiven. You, you're made righteous through Christ. But when you go out in the world, it doesn't mean you don't talk to them. It doesn't mean you don't speak with them, but you just don't run with them. And there's a difference in speaking and, and being kind and running with them or hanging out with them all the time or identifying with their wickedness. One of the problems is today that a lot of Christians have gotten so used to the dark that they're not, they've gotten used to it. If you, if you go outside and the sun is shining... Let's say you're going to a movie. If you ever go to an afternoon movie, a matinee, sun is bright, you're, you're, you know, out here the sun really gets bright. You go into a movie theater, and when you first walk in that theater, you can't see anything, especially if they don't have any lights on. Maybe the movie's already started, and you're thinking, how am I going to find an empty seat when I can 't see anything, but you stand there long enough, your eyes begin to adjust, and then all of a sudden you start seeing people sitting in the chairs, and you you see the aisle and and then you begin to see some empty seats. Well, a lot of Christians have done that in the world they've gotten so accustomed to the dark around them they see clearly in the dark and they and morally and spiritually they don't seem to stand anymore and the things that used to shock people doesn't shock them anymore they've gotten used to it the works of darkness he says have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness It's typified by the sins that have already been mentioned in chapters 4 and 5 of of lust and deceit and falsehood and stealing and unwholesome speech and bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice and immorality and impurity and greed and filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting and covetousness and idolatry. I mean, Paul, he's got quite a list in those two chapters. He said, this should not characterize your life. And today, there are a lot of people that seem to hide under the, the cloak of grace, which I believe in grace, and I'm saved by grace. So are you. But they use it to, to do whatever they want to do, saying God's already forgiven me, and I'm righteous in Jesus. But that's not what he's saying. He says, you now, you once were darkness. You're now light. You don't live like darkness anymore. You're not perfect. We're not better than anybody. We've just been given the light of Jesus. He also says, not only do you um, continually refuse sin, but you refute sin in verse 11. Expose them. Here's the idea of reproof or correction or punishment or discipline. We're to confront sin. It doesn't mean we're to be ugly about it, but we are supposed to be the ones that say, look, this is wrong. This is sin. Everybody's so afraid now to say anything because we're afraid we will offend someone. But, But the scripture tells us if we see a brother or sister overtaken in a fault and headed down the wrong path, we need to talk to them. It's uncomfortable. But if you love them and you see them headed down the wrong path, we're to refute sin. And, and, and not only that, but in a nation today, we see our country going down the wrong path. We're supposed to be the ones to stand up and say, look, this is wrong. This is sin. We have that freedom to do that. In fact, Paul even describes it. He said, it's shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Isn't it an incredible what we hear people do today. Why? Because they're in darkness. He says, it's it's shameful to speak of those things, but all things are exposed by the light, the light, the true light. You know, there's a difference in light, that we have artificial light, the lights in this building, the lights you have in your home. There's a difference in that light and the sunlight when you go outside. Well, when you stand next to the sunlight, it, it reveals everything. Have you ever noticed you bought something in a store and it looks pretty good till you go outside and go, ooh, this doesn't look as good as I thought it did. Because the true light shows up everything well Jesus is that way we may look good compared to someone else artificial light but when you stand next to the light of the world the sin is exposed in a tenement district in New York many years ago a little boy in ragged clothes was standing on the sidewalk with piece of a broken mirror in his hand he was holding it high in the air and he was moving it back and forth and he was shining light up on a building and another man came up to him and said, boy, what are you doing? You must be up to nothing that's good. Like most boys in this neighborhood, you're probably up to some kind of mischief. And the little boy said, sir, you see that window way up there? And he pointed to a window that was inside a bunch of buildings. And he said, I have a little brother who has a crippling disease and he cannot get outside. And the only sunlight he ever sees is what I shine up to him with my mirror. Well, folks, the only sun, S-O-N, light that people are going to see is going to be because because of us, the lights of the world, Jesus Christ. We're to live in the light. And then in verse 14, Paul gives an invitation. I call it a reiterated call. Once again, he calls people. He offers an invitation. This is really uh, an adaptation of Isaiah 60, verse 1, where it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And Paul says, Awake, you who are asleep. He's talking to, to people who are in darkness. Wake up. Wake up to see the light of the world. Wake up to see where you're going. Wake up to see where you're headed. Arise from the dead. Send, summons the people to come from in repentance from death to life in Jesus. And Christ will give you light. He's the light of the world. 2 Corinthians four four says the God of this age and his little G has blinded the minds of those talking about those without Christ. He's blinded them so that the light of the gospel will not shine unto them. You can't hide light in a room of darkness. You cannot hide light unless you cover it up and conceal it some way, but you can't, darkness there's there's no such thing as darkness is really nothing it's just the absence of light but you can't pump darkness into a room but if you could you could not pump enough darkness to put out the light in a room jesus is a is a light in a world of darkness he will always shine and his children will shine and isn't it amazing that hell is described as a place of darkness now, I know it's the lake of fire, and we assume it's going to be lit, but the scripture says it's a place that's darker than dark. It, you, you can't, you know how you've been in places where they've turned the lights off in a cave, you can't see your hand in front of your face, you won't be able to see anything and still be in torment. Why is that? Because hell is a place where God will not be, and the absence of light is darkness. And people, spiritually speaking, are in darkness today. And if you don't know Christ, you need to give your life to him. You need to come to the light. He is the light of the world. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And I want you to know that this coming Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on the subject of fear, freedom from fear. There are a lot of people who are afraid right now. What does the Bible have to say about fear, and what's the remedy for it? Well, if you have some friends who seem to be afraid, invite them to watch. You can go on Facebook Live. You can go online to SouthCrestLive.tv. I'll be preaching at 9.30. Brandon Hayes will preach at 11 o'clock. But we're going to deal with the subject of fear. And I believe it's a very appropriate subject right now because so many people are living in fear. We don't have to live in fear. What does the Bible say about fear? How do you handle it? What's the, what's the solution for it? So you pray for us, and uh, we're going to keep coming to you week by week to keep you informed of what's going on. And um, we'll just have to take it a week at a time. Again, I want us to pray for those people that I mentioned earlier and I'd like to close in prayer right now. Lord, I thank you for the people who have tuned in this evening and have been watching in their own homes or wherever they are. I pray that you've used your word to speak to our hearts, to their hearts. And I pray that you'll encourage them, help them to be lights in a world that's getting darker by the minute. And yet we know we're the ones that have hope. We're the ones that have assurance. We pray for those that need Jesus. Again, we lift up the Zeiss family and the Spear family and the Dixon family. And I ask that you comfort them and help them. I pray for those who may be at home and they seem to be so lonely today. Maybe they live by themselves. Maybe they, they just wonder what, how long this is going to last. I pray, God, you put people on our heart to call and to reach out and to encourage. But Thank you that we can come together. Even if it's online, we can come together and we pray that you would continue to strengthen and protect our church family. Thank you for your your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray these things now in Jesus name. Amen. I pray you have a good night and I guess I'll see you online this Sunday. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring senior pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening.